Welcome to the Woo Woo Way podcast. My name is Zeb Rice. Today's podcast is an edited conversation between George Falcon and one of his students. Continuing in the theme from the last podcast, in this talk, George explains why the world doesn't look perfect to us all the time and the simple things we can do to experience the best life possible. Newcomers to this podcast may want to listen to the first five or ten minutes of the first podcast, which introduces who George Falcom was and what his teaching is about. In essence, the primary claim is that you have access to your best life in any given moment. What most people don't realize is that there exists a set of principles that, if applied correctly, can alleviate personal suffering forever. This podcast is devoted to explaining why the world doesn't look this way to most of us, and to giving people the tools to take control of their lives. Primarily drawing on the lessons, stories, and lectures of wisdom teacher George Falcon, it provides the intellectual framework, the spiritual context, and specific methods for mastering the self. Who was George Falcon? George was a Southern California-based spiritual teacher and mentor who spent his time lecturing, leading meditation retreats, and guiding students on their spiritual paths. When George Falcon speaks about spirituality, he brings a language, a tone, structure and an approach that I think is much more accessible and acceptable to the modern ear. If you'd like more on George and how he fits in and the uh, podcast um, background, uh, go ahead and listen to that first episode. One thing about the way George speaks is that it's uh, in a very compact form. So what I do in this podcast is provide a brief preface to his lecture and Um, That way I can introduce you to some of the concepts in advance of you hearing it from him and provide a bit of the background that he assumes. George used to talk about how helpful it was sometimes to have a translator of his teachings. You have someone like him that is at a very high level of consciousness and for whom things of a spiritual nature were completely clear and obvious. So when he explains things, he will often skip over or assume important background information that most people will lack. Think of something you know very well, like riding a bike, and imagine explaining to someone that has never seen or even heard about a thing called a bike, what a bike is, what it looks like, and how you ride it. Inevitably, you're going to leave out details or assume some knowledge. The value of the many students of George who share their experiences of his teachings, such as I'm doing on this podcast, is that we have spent many years trying to imagine what a quote-unquote bike looks like and have been trying to practice riding it so we can relate more directly to the questions and confusions of the average listener or the beginning student. That's why I provide the preface to the talks. Continuing in the theme from the last podcast, in this talk, George explains why the world doesn't look perfect and the simple things we can do to experience the best life possible. From a structural perspective, I think about this talk as divided into eight parts, though there are no such breaks denoted in the talk itself. I will briefly cover them here so you have a framework as you listen, and so that I can explain a couple of terms and contextual points that will be helpful in grasping some of his points. He begins by talking about energy and its equivalency with matter, summarized in Einstein's famous E equals mc squared equation. He expands on the idea that all matter vibrates at different frequencies. He then makes a critical point that in any given person's experience of the now, they will have attracted lower or higher energies and resonate with lower or higher frequencies based on their own level of consciousness prior to and in that moment. This is kind of an extraordinary insight and may not be clear until he goes into the ideas of levels of consciousness a bit later in the talk. In fact, it may take longer than that to sink in, but I 
actually really can't use words strong enough to emphasize what a powerful teaching this is. So I just, I just bookmark it here and, and pay close attention to it in this first part. Um, and as he goes along explaining the levels of consciousness, uh, just a, a sort of a side note, in case anyone finds this talk of frequencies and energies a bit too flaky and likes visual examples the way I do, there are videos aplenty on YouTube demonstrating the principles of acoustic resonance where people use their voices to shatter wine glasses, and any introductory textbook on physics will explain the concepts as well. It, it, and it turns out that not just physical objects vibrate and have resonance, but even thoughts and emotions have frequencies. A quick Google search for EEG, which stands for electroencephalogram, I believe, provides an abundance of links for those curious to learn more. And there are even consumer EEG devices from companies like Emotive that you can buy and measure your own brain's various frequencies, depending on your thoughts and mood. I've just purchased one myself, and if I learn anything interesting, I'll be sure to share it on a future podcast. Back to the lecture... He next moves to explaining that once you are dealing with the m in the E equals mc squared equation, there isn't much you can do about it. He uses the wonderful simile of a pie that is already baked to represent the forms we are dealing with in the now. What is happening now was set in motion who knows how long ago and by what uncontrollable number of inputs. It doesn't really matter what the ingredients were because the pie is already baked, the past is done with, and the now is here. The key is to spend your time and energy in the now on and in the now on the baking of the next pie just the way you want it. The third part he moves on and talks about the first three levels of consciousness or planes of existence if you prefer that phrasing. This requires a bit of context, so let me back up. The physical plane we all get since that is the level of bodies and things. The next level is the emotional level and is sometimes called the astral plane. George often refers to this level as Annabelle, since this was the name he had for a dog of his long ago, and our, our emotional selves aren't too different from the consciousness of a clever dog. The third level of consciousness is sometimes called the mental plane. George will often use the name Virgil, who was the guide in Dante's Inferno, as the name for our intellectual self. Extending our riding a bike analogy, Think about these levels as analogous to what a bike is, and the teachings more generally are how to ride the bike. We'll probably do several podcasts this podcasts on this idea of levels of consciousness, and George comes back to it over and over again, so I'll leave it at that for now. You should also be aware that he often references someone named Sabuti in his talks. Sabuti was Buddha's dialogue partner in an important Buddhist text called the Diamond Sutra, and at the time of this recording, he was doing a lecture series on the Diamond Sutra on Wednesday nights. These are available on Vimeo if you're keen to hear about what he has to say about the Diamond Sutra. I'll eventually do a podcast on them as well. In the fourth part, George talks about how we can use the technique of stillness, aka meditation, to move beyond these first three levels of consciousness. Our ability to experience the world is perfect, attract the right energies and repel the wrong ones, depends on our ability to raise our consciousness beyond Annabelle and Virgil's dominance. Only then can we remember who we really are. The words here get fancy and I would say hippie-ish very quickly, so try not to be distracted by words like astral plane or chakras or dimensions of existence. Personally, I found using George's terms of Annabelle and Virgil for the second and third levels the easiest to adopt, but you can use whatever works for you. 
The point is that we need to leave these levels behind and anchor our identity and consciousness in the levels beyond the first three. Eckhart Tolle speaks about something similar when he talks about the value of clock time for practical matters. We do need to keep our bodies healthy and well-fed. Emotions, functions, emotions function as motivating movement in these, in these bodies. And thoughts and logic and ideas obviously play a role in regulating and optimizing the experience of the emotional and physical self. The key is to get is to avoid getting stuck at these lower three levels or becoming absorbed completely in Tolle's clock time and to avoid identifying our sense of self with one of those lower levels. Unfortunately, it is all too easy to become identified with one of these parts of ourself. Even on the spiritual path, this is the case as much as anywhere else. So in the fifth part, George talks about how often people become stuck on this idea of not thinking or nothing. He brings up a wonderful model for the nature of reality that he calls the, th the three bags. This is a recurring idea, so don't be alarmed if you don't get it right away. I'll summarize it here so you have a bit of context before the talk. In the first bag, imagine everything, idea, person, emotion, etc. that you can think of. Then put the opposite of all of those things in and you have the first bag. So to mix our metaphors and bring them in the levels of consciousness model, Every aspect of the first three dimensions of the physical and Annabelle and Virgil are all in the first bag. The second bag is everything that is not in the first bag, i.e. nothing. And the third bag has everything that isn't in the first two bags. The third bag is the closest to the truth. More on that in a future podcast. And I realize that uh, all of that may sound a bit confusing, but any model that tries to explain that which transcends all models is just going to be confusing. So just sit with it. I'm betting it will grow on you. In the sixth part, George extends the concepts of the three bags in describing what nirvana or heaven is. People, all, people often confuse nirvana with the second bag, and here he explains why that is partly true, but actually really doesn't make sense. Finally, in the seventh and eighth parts, he provides a very brief explanation of what waking up is like and what the difference is between intention and desire. Both are longer talk, topics to be sure, but here he provides a little taste of his views to conclude things. So what should you be listening for in this talk? I would suggest five things for you to pay attention to. First, the principles of energy and their interaction with bodies. Second, the concept of the physical, Annabelle and Virgil as labels for the first three levels of consciousness. Third, the similes of the pie and the three bags. Fourth, the technique of stillness as a method to move beyond the bags or the lower levels of consciousness. And fifth, what nirvana or heaven really is. Okay, that's it from me. And now it's time to hear from George. Do you know from Einstein's equation, everything is really energy in particular pattern. Now, everything then resonates at a particular frequency. So given that, we can say, well, there's going to be some things that emanate very little energy. There's going to be some things that emanate a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Energy can be flavored. So we say, well, there's energy that is not very positive. There's energy that is very positive, right? Life affirming versus, okay? It's kind of like you're learning to, to read energy patterns. So the things you want in the long run is, first of all, to recognize a, a very important principle. Energy that sticks to you is because it resonates with something in you, okay? 
So the higher your frequency, then the lower frequencies won't stick to you. Number two. The only reason things stick to us is because we, in, without recognizing it, hold on to them. If you take the attitude, well, no, you know, energy is energy. You know, it's either going to go through me, around me, bounce off me, but it doesn't have to stay with me. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to stay with me, okay? The third thing, particularly if we're used to being problem solvers, okay? It's like something's different, and so our mind kicks into, well, why is it there? What do I have to do about it? Okay? It's very hard for us to get to the point of acceptance. It's here, it's here, and that's it, okay? If I don't pay attention to it, it has to go. It is the nature of energy to move, right? Now, you know, there's a wonderful saying in, in Scripture, stand still and watch the salvation occur. And what it really means is, if you just leave it alone, it's going to go. Mm. Okay? Again, primarily, hun, things stick to us because we're holding on to it, for whatever reason. The unfortunate thing is that so often, why we're holding on is at a subconscious, unconscious level. Okay? But really, the trick is going to be for you to recognize the higher my consciousness, A, I will only attract that kind of energy, B, even if I were around the other kind of energy, it's not going to stick to me, okay? And then to develop that sense of acceptance of saying, okay, so this is the way things are right now. This is the way things are. Now, the value of that comes from a recognition that M, as in E is equal to M, M is the finished product. It's, it's like whatever you pulled out of the oven. I mean, that's, that's the finished product. Okay? If you forgot an ingredient, if you put too much of an ingredient, it's too late. You've already made it. So this is as it is, yeah. and it is because all of us have contributed to its making. Right. You and I, Yvonne, you see, all of us have contributed to its making. If we don't like it, then what we do is we say, okay, let it go and start attracting whatever it is you do want. Mm -hmm. Okay, see, start attracting what you do want. So if you didn't like the pie, make another one. I mean, you see, but don't lament and fret over the other one because it's too late. Okay, so a lot of our work is really in one sense projecting what it is we want to bake. And really learning to let go of what has been. You know, particularly young people, sometimes, you know, they get to a particular age of, of, of responsibility, you know, and they recognize some of the dumb things they did in the earlier years, right? And they lament, uh, there could be shame, whatever. And I say, but it's too late. You did it. The important thing is, with what you know now, would you do it again? Well, no. I said, well, that's, that's the best thing you can do, okay? That with what you know now, you wouldn't do that. But that was where you were then. Let it go. Let it go, okay? So getting to the state of acceptance, it's very 
important. By recognizing that what is here right now was set in motion, not this morning, but heaven knows how many days ago. Things get set in motion way before they materialize, okay? And that's why it's often so difficult to pinpoint why something is here at the moment, okay? Right. Now watch. The problem with, so we'll put it all under a word called pride, okay? The problem with pride is we don't recognize that I can only be proud of what has already happened, okay? So the problem with pride is that it keeps me tied to the past. So if we can start there and say, all right, the past is the past. Again, the, the, whatever came out of the oven, that's what came out of the oven. I can't do anything about the past. And to the degree that I live in the past, I get stuck. I'm not going to make any progression. Okay? All right. Now, the ego the self. One of the things that happens when we start is that we have to start the spiritual process through the self. Okay? Because it's through the self, it's very akin to anything we're going to learn. There's a learning curve. There really is, okay? The thing that saves us is ultimately getting to the conclusion, which it seems like you're moving in that direction, that relative to the spiritual path, the intellect cannot help us. Dante personified the intellect by calling it Virgil, okay? And he says, okay, so Virgil's going to take you to the door of heaven. So you see, you need Virgil, right, to get you to the door of heaven, but he can't take you through. So that's where you're going to drop it, okay? You, you thank Virgil, and you say, okay, Thank you for bringing me here right now. It's kind of like you get the cab to the airport and you got to get out of the cab, right? Okay. So the intellect then serves a purpose and it is doing that service that the possibility of comparison, right? As in, well, geez, you only meditate an hour and a half? I meditate two hours every day in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. And two. I mean, it's impossible not to do that. We just sort of take it with a grain of salt and say, okay, that is the process of the ego. That's what it does. It's gonna, It's the same as when I say to you, look, Annabelle is going to scan. It's going to say, oh, that reminds me of, and this is how I felt, and there's nothing you can do about it. This is what she does. So the ego compares, okay? The ego compares because it's got to say, that's safe, that's not safe. If it didn't compare, honey, I would treat everything the same way, some of which would be very damaging. So it's got to compare, okay? It's got to see if it's making any progress. Now, the thing again is that I have to recognize that at some point, I have to let go of it because I can't go into heaven with that. If you want to see it from a metaphysical point of view, then think about it like this. If we use the Kabbalah as a model, see, and we say, okay, the ceiling represents the source. So everything starts from the source, goes through the subtle plane, and then where the mantle is, that's the mental plane. So notice all the things that occurred before it got to the mental plane. What the Buddha is trying to point to, which he says reality, is that space. 
the space between the mental plane and the souls. Okay? Therefore, concepts cannot take you to that plane. Okay? So from the mental plane to the physical plane, they're extremely valuable. I, I don't know how you would teach your, your, your yeah. students if you didn't talk to them. If they didn't read their books, if we didn't test them. I mean, so from the mental plane to the physical plane, that's a very valuable yeah. faculty. It's just a recognition that beyond that, transcending that, it's of no value. Okay? And in a sense, that's a very difficult uh, differentiation, not to make, but to really act upon it, because the intellect has served us well. We've been rewarded for it. I mean, effort has been rewarded. See? And that's why it's very difficult to say, so you mean everything that made me successful up to now and would continue to make me successful in the physical plane, those are the very things I have to give up? Yeah. Those are the very things you have to give up. Okay, good. First of all, Buddha came to the recognition that there were techniques to move you beyond the mental plane and that his students had actually mastered them. Subhuti was an example of that level of mastery. But what he's trying to say is, if you want to go beyond the ceiling, there are no methods. And the reason there are no methods is because you're it. In other words, we can't make you, okay? And in a sense, honey, you never really changed. You just started resonating at a frequency, at a frequency. Now, here's, the, here's where students really sort of start moving in the wrong direction. The principle is, let go and be still. If you try to practice that, you will fail. You have to take another tack. And the tack is something like this. If I've just had a, a delicious meal, satisfying in every aspect, I'm really not thinking about food anymore. You must come to, to the point of recognition that thinking is of no value to you. Because it's of no value to you, you're not going to engage in it. So now you've got to learn trick. You've got to actually say to yourself, all right, look, when we start this process, when we go to that room, when we, it's not the time to think. When we're out of that room or out of that process, we can pick up thinking again. Okay? See, because otherwise you're going to panic the self thinking you're annihilating it, okay? Because yeah. it'll try to grab your attention. But if yeah. you say, like your kids, right? Look, uh, after mother finishes with that, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with that. I, I got to do this right now, okay? I got to send this out. And as soon as I'm done with that, I come over here. So basically, that's what you're doing with the self, okay? You're saying, look, I'm going to do this. You cannot help me with this. Then we're going to do this, and then you can help me with this. Again, here's the trick, which the Buddha understood. Though we call it self-discovery and self-realization, those are very wonderful words in a way, but really it's nothing more than remembering. Mm. Okay? 
to me, it's more useful to talk about it in terms of remembering because now I can use a below experience and, and say to myself, okay, when I try to remember, I don't succeed. If I let it go, I go, oh yes, I know, I remember. So again, that's, that's why, again, so many students never really progress past metaphysics because that they don't recognize that simple thing that, all right, I can value thinking under these conditions, but these other conditions, it's of no value, okay? All right, think about it like this then. Look, we use our three bags. That one's full, that one's empty. The third one is not like the second one and it's not like the first. So it's either, it's neither full nor empty, okay? You're like the third bag. Not thinking, practicing, practicing, honey, not thinking is the second bag. Okay? That's where a lot of students spend lifetimes, okay? They master not thinking, and so they never progress past the second bag, okay? You should have no reason for thinking. So, if I try not to think, I might succeed. But that's the second bag. Okay? I've got to go back again to, oh, I have no reason to think. So you come out of your bedroom and your children are there and you, you've got your galoshes and your raincoat and your rain hat and your umbrella and they're looking at you going, Mom, why do you have all that? And you say, well, in case it rains. And they say, Mom, it's not going to rain. You don't need those things, okay? Relative to waking up to your nature, you don't need anything. Nothing is going to be of value to you, okay? So when I say on Wednesdays, so much that is in the Diamond Sutra has a value, but it's not. It's not, it could not be the core of what Gautama was saying, okay? Because he knew that nothing would help you. He knew that, okay? So he cannot be giving you something, okay? If anything, he's encouraging you to say, oh, it's like the third bag, all right. I've said, no, the truth is not interesting. It's the lie that's interesting. See, I mean, when I've said, you know, in Zen, that quote-unquote final stage, right, it's called attending the grand affair. And what do masters say when asked, what did you attain? Well, very much like the other day when we said, nothing. Well, again, honey, how could you attain something if you never lost anything? Watch, you, you always have to be careful with your verbiage at that level, okay? It's like I said, relative to Wednesday, when the Buddha said, words cannot express the truth. And I said, well, then why do we talk? Well, again, because we got to get you to the door. All right, so. Though it has been said this way, that there is void, nothingness, nirvana, 
we have to recognize that it was a teaching ploy. Okay? Our modern way of looking at thing, things is that surely anything that a master said must be a value, which is fine, but educational. That's the problem. Okay? We, we never see it as a teaching technique. See, as soon as you attach a concept, as soon as you make it a noun, you're, you're out of the game. Again, just if you can think of the mantle, honey, like the mental plane, and you say, okay, so even if I was progressing nicely up to the ceiling, as soon as I make a noun, a conceptualize it, I'm back here. It, it doesn't matter how accurate I think the concept is, okay? It's a concept, it belongs to that plane, okay? It's the same as when I say emotions are at the astral plane. When you're emoting, you're in the astral plane. It's that simple, okay? All right, so now, watch. Because the great ones were trying to arrest thinking, conceptualizing. That's why in the older formulations, they were always very short because they didn't want the student to start using what they were saying to start philosophizing, to start looking for something. Okay? And so, in a sense, when they use the word void, when they use the word null, when they use the word empty, what they were trying to say to the student, psychologically, if I tell you going through that door, you will find nothing, then A, you will not go through the door because there's no reward. <laughs> B, you will go through the door expecting nothing. Therefore, you won't be disappointed because there's nothing like what's beneath here. That's the thing, honey, okay? That there's nothing like what belongs from the mental plane through the astral plane to the physical plane, okay? See, again, because the Western mind tries to do these things, okay? People don't recognize that what Jesus meant by the word heaven was a freedom from the mental plane and below. It wasn't a destination. It wasn't a reward, okay? That it was just opposite okay not an unreward but that no it was freedom from you looking what you could have found from the mental plane down okay now let's use an example because okay? people right from the mental plane down to the physical we might look for a loved one well it's folly to look for a loved one beyond the mental plane because there's no one there, okay? Is there nothing like in the second bag? Nope. Later on, uh, another master started to say, now, you know, you have to distinguish when we use the word void that we're not talking about annihilation because that's not, that's not what we're talking about, okay? Yeah. It's a teaching ploy. Don't look for anything that you would find from the mental plane to the physical plane. Can you find gold 
below them and deploy. Yes. Gold rings, eh? So when people say, well, the streets of heaven are paved with gold, okay? That's ridiculous, okay? That heaven doesn't exist up there. Well, what about something like love? Okay. At that level, it's not the love that we think we mean, okay? The love that we're talking about at that level is really more like a peaceful, blissful feeling. Quite sweet, quite enjoyable, but it has nothing to do with the body, so there's no excitement. There's no, see, there's no excitement, okay? So I call it kind of like an ironed out, blissful peace. Oh, you wouldn't trade it for anything else, but it's nothing. I mean, it doesn't compare neither good nor bad. It doesn't compare with what we call love below the mental plane. Okay? There are not sweet thoughts. There are not hard palpitations. There's nothing like that, okay? What is called love over there is the recognition of, oh, there's nothing to be concerned about. That's why I say, yeah. in, in one sense, it's kind of disappointing. You can just okay? relax. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing, yeah. okay? But in a sense, it's like, you know, you went to Australia, had a great time, but when you came home, there was a certain relief. Yeah. As much as you enjoyed your trip, yeah. there's something about getting back home, okay? Yeah, so it's like coming home to yourself. Exactly, okay? Yeah. That, it, it's more like that, okay? Yeah. That's why I say, you know, the fireworks, uh, they exist down here, honey. They, 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 once yeah. you get past that, okay? And yet, as I've said, honey, no one who has ever become fully awakened has ever said it was a waste of time. I wouldn't do it again. Had I known the outcome, I would have stopped. No, okay? <laughs> I want the drama. <laughs> exactly. I want the drama. <laughs> Although I did see this cartoon, okay? There's these two monks meditating, and one of them says to the other one, you know, I've got to admit, now that I've become enlightened, I do miss the suffering. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. good. <laughs> so that's why, honey, words are so uh, difficult to use, and therefore I caution. No, they just point a direction. Do not look for relief. Yeah. Your experience, quote-unquote your experience, should be something like this. Oh, I see why George called it that. Eh, I wouldn't call it that. I think I'd call it this. Fine. Fine, right. Okay? But it's really more like that. Okay, I see why he said it like that. No, I wouldn't say it like that, but okay. So is it sort of, I mean, the process by which this happens, is it? Is it a, more of a gradual? I guess it varies. Partially, honey. Partially, it is gradual. Because it's like saying, okay, well, let's see. I took my jacket off. Okay. Well, now I'm going to take this one off. Okay. Then I'm going to take this off. So in that sense, getting ready to take a shower is kind of like a gradual process of undressing. Okay? But the, quote, unquote, final step is not gradual because it's more like this. So the analogies I use are A... When you get a joke, okay, here's a joke. 
This policeman stops this lady. She's about 50 years of age. So she knows, you know, she's got to get her driver's license, you know, so she opens the glove compartment and she's taking out. The policeman looks and he thinks, wow, that looks like a, a gun. He says, do you have a permit, a permit to carry a concealed weapon? She says, yeah, it's in there. And he says, by the way, what do you have in the glove compartment? 45. Whoa. Any other weapons? Well, yeah. And this console? 9mm Beretta. Whoa. Any other? Oh, in my handbag. A Weston. He says, lady, what in the world are you afraid of? And she said, not a damn thing. <laughs> All right. Well, it's the same like in education, right? We're looking at a concept or we're looking at a formula and we play with it and we go, oh, okay. See, so that final is, okay. oh, so that's immediate and subtle. But it's again, it's like getting to the door. It's like, you know, we we go to the gym, right? And maybe for a couple of weeks, we don't say, well, you know, I really don't feel much different, right? But somewhere along the way, we go, you know, I feel stronger. I seem to have more endurance, right? Say, but maybe not the first week. In fact, I was pretty tired the first week. So in one sense, that's why the Buddha didn't like either or as a logic, right? Because it wasn't either gradual or instantaneous, okay? That they were both playing a role, okay? that one thing would set you up for another thing, okay? But that the last, like the joke, or getting a concept, is instantaneous. Because you get it or you don't get it. Just like the joke. You get it, you don't get it. You get the concept, you don't get the concept. You get the formula, you don't get the formula. But once you get it, that's it. You're not going to forget it. If your intention is to do something, I always say this, the desire precedes the intention, okay? You're right in letting go of the desire, just keep the intention. Intention, intention implies direction, so, so they're really different, okay? Again, I can see how the average person might, you know, sort of use them interchangeably, but if we really pay attention... An intention is more mental, whereas desire is more emotional, okay? So we keep the intention that it's time to come home. It's time to remember. See, that's it. It's time to remember, okay? I fiddle around. Now it's time to remember. It's kind of like saying, okay, it's time for me to study. So, yeah, keep the intention because that helps you organize and, and sort of filter things that are going to distract you. And therefore, it can be very helpful. But again, the most important thing to start out with is I know I put the keys in my pocket. Now, is it this pocket? Is it this pocket? Is it this? But but I know I, I got them on my person. Now I know it's not in the jacket. That's it. So I'm not going to look there anymore. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, 
there are a few ways that you can support it. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can leave reviews on uh, on it uh, on iTunes or wherever you download it from, or tell your friends about it and, and share it on social media. You can also follow Falcon Teachings on Twitter or on Instagram, just searching for Falcon Teachings, uh, all one word. Um, or you can go to the website, which is at www.falconteachings.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.